Make sure you pull out the notes as we will be going through those as I preach through the text. It's been a couple of weeks since I've gotten to preach, and I thank the other elders, Brother Ferlin, Brother Ray, for being faithful to feed you all well from the Word of God. They were faithful to the text. The Holy Spirit, I know, has used their, their preaching and many of your lives and your hearts, and so I'm thankful to them for their time in the Word. We've been in Romans for a little over a year now, walking through this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He had not visited the church in Rome yet, but his heart was to go to be with them. He wanted to visit the church at Rome. We're going to see more of his plans today. Chapter 15, a few weeks ago, we were able to look at the example of who Christ is and how he is the only hope for the Jews and the Gentiles both. Christ is the only hope for all peoples. And the Apostle Paul explained to us and to the church at Rome that he has a desire. And that desire is to make Christ known where he has not been known. He wants to make it his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that he would not build on someone else's foundation. We talked about how there's some of us who that needs to be our calling. We need to go and preach the gospel to those who have never heard, to those who don't even have access to the gospel. And then there's some of those, some of you, that need to stay close and go to a church, perhaps, that is dying and they need help revitalizing and becoming healthy again. And some of you need to do that. And some of you need to stay here and help our church continue to grow. So with this in mind about what the Apostle Paul said, this was his ambition. He was going to go to preach the gospel to those who've never heard so that those who have never heard would understand. That leads us to verse 22, which we're going to start in now. Follow along with me. Romans chapter 15, beginning of verse 22. This is the reason, Paul says, why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come to the, in the fullness of of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's work through it verse by verse and see what God may have for us in these kind of travel plans for Paul. You could just say, well, this is Paul's personal you know, writings to the church at Rome, not really relevant to us. It's just good to know what his itinerary was. 
But that's not how the Word of God works, is it? All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And so, let's mine together the precious jewels that are in this text. Maybe you've already seen them, or maybe in reading it you said, I don't see anything. Well, hopefully the Lord will show us some things today. He starts in 22 and says, This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. What was the reason? Well, what he just said before, I've been wanting to come see you. My hope was to come and visit with you. And we're going to find out by next chapter, he knows quite a few Christians from the church at Rome. And he says, I've wanted to come. I really have. But I've been hindered because of what he said before. I've been out preaching the gospel where Christ has not been named. Is that a good reason to, to not go? It's a good reason. It's a good reason. Hey, if you, don't, if you haven't visited somebody in a while, make that your reason. Like, well, don't lie about it, though. Don't be like, I was going to come see you, but I was out preaching the gospel to those who've never heard, and you're just busy. No, that doesn't count. But what a great reason not to be able to get to those you love. Isn't that what our missionaries are doing? It's Thanksgiving. They're alone. They might have a few other believers with them. They might have a few other Americans, perhaps, with them, for those who are missionaries from America but they're lonely right now. And they're trying to be, be creative on how to enjoy Thanksgiving from overseas apart from their family. One of the things that some of them will be doing, I'm certain, is they'll sometimes tape the Macy's Day Parade from years past and put that on, for those of you who know what a VCR is, a, a tape perhaps or DVD player, I know. And they'll watch that in the background. And they're going to find their the best ways if they can find a turkey wherever they live and they're going to make homemade pies and they're going to get together. And, thank, and thankfully they have technology, but they're doing whatever they can to connect. But Paul says, this is the reason I haven't come yet. I want to come. I love you, but I can't. One missionary put it like this. When you're at when you see the, the table at Thanksgiving and you see those loved ones, those missionaries who, whose seats are empty because they're supposed to be there but they're gone, one missionary said, well, that seat is empty at this table so that the seats at the, the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb will be full. And so you go and you give up these things for the gospel and for the glory of Christ. This reason I've been often hindered from coming to you, verse 23, but now... Since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, wow, how about that? He's been working. And if you go through the book of Acts, you can see his travels. Now, that doesn't mean he preached the gospel to every single person, but he would go to these kind of urban centers, these cities, these bigger towns, and that's where he's gone, and he's preached the gospel, and churches have been started. And so Paul can say, I no longer have any room to work in these regions. And he says, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. He's not even saying, hey, I'm finally going to get to come and retire, and I can just relax and be there with you. He says, no, I'm going to stop in. I'm going to visit with you, and then I've got more work to do because there's still more people who have not heard, and they're in Spain, and I've got to go to Spain. But notice what he just says and assumes to be a good thing. I'm going to see you in my passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. For the Apostle Paul, it is normal for Christians to help other Christians who are going to preach the gospel. It's normal. 
He expects them to help. And this means financially. This is the main focus here. The thrust is financially. I expect I'm going to come, I'm going to enjoy your presence, I'm going to enjoy time with you, and then you're going to give me money so I can get to Spain. Some of that he's the apostle so he can do that. But there's an understanding that the body of Christ is bigger than just this church. Amen? The body of Christ is huge. All Christians, all times, all places, brothers and sisters all around the world. So we partner and we get the joy of having some of you guests come and visit with us. We love hearing that you're here visiting from different places because it reminds us of the body of Christ. So he's saying, I'm going to come, I'm going to enjoy your company a little bit, and then I'm off to Spain. But I can't go yet. I can't come to you just yet. There's a little bit more I have to do, Paul says. Verse 25. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. What kind of aid? Financial aid. The saints in Jerusalem are hurting right now, and they need help. They need money. And so Paul's entrusted to take money to them. He says, I can't come visit you just yet, and I can't go to Spain just yet, because I need to go to Jerusalem. The church there needs help. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased, verse 26, to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. What do you see? You see churches helping other churches to make sure that there are not saints in need. It's the body of Christ, and it's beautiful. Some of those people in Macedonia and Achaia, they probably never even met those people in Jerusalem. Trusting Paul, trusting the other apostles, trusting others who are talking about the body of Christ as it grows. It is normal for us to help missionaries along the way, and it is normal to help other Christians who are in need. If you have an issue with either one of those things, then you're abnormal according to the New Testament. You need to pray and ask God to help you with that. But I think we're doing a pretty good job with this. I think we're doing a good job by the grace of God. For they were pleased, verse 27, to do it. They were, they were happy to do it, not, all right, pass the plate, I'll throw in some money, go help the, the poor people over there. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. Look at that. Paul says they actually owe it to them. Why? For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. It says, the, the, especially the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, that message has gone out from them to the ends of the earth. If you've come to faith and you now get eternal life and all of the blessings that God gives, you can't fork, fork over a little bit of cash to help the poor. Paul says they owe it to them. They need to. Because they, they have their focus. The reason that they're excited about it is they, they see the worth of eternal life. They see the worth of helping the church, of honoring God. So they're like, yeah, we'll gladly do that. And many of you are the same. So then he continues on with his plans in 28. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Paul has his plan. How many of you have a plan? Carrie's the only one with the plan? Nope. You guys have plans in your life, some of you. Some of you are like, I'm just day by day, just waking up. Many times we have plans, long-term plans. The Apostle Paul has plans here. When he completes that task in Jerusalem, I'm going to deliver over the the money to them for their needs. I'm going to go to you, and then I'm going to go to Spain. And he says in 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I know that I fulfilled what I was supposed to do in Jerusalem. I'm going to come to you guys. You're going to accept me. 
You're going to love me. We're going to have a great time together. Then you're going to give financially, and then I'm going to go. The blessings, the fullness of Christ, all of it. It's going to be wonderful, Paul says. So then he asks this. Here's his plan. Look what he asks. Verse 30. So I appeal to you. I'm pleading with you. Please, 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 please. Brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, appealing to the Lordship of Christ and the love that the Spirit brings inside of each one of us as we're believers to strive together. Notice that word strive. That means working hard at it. Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. I've got this plan. The plan sounds pretty good, right? But everyone, I mean, the plan's good. Go help the saints in Jerusalem. Come back, visit for a while. Go to the unreached in Spain. Great plan. And he says, I'm begging you, pray with me that this would be what God would bless. Strive with me in your prayers on my behalf. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers. Here's what he prays. Watch three things he prays for. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea as I'm heading back to Jerusalem and as I get there, pray that I would be delivered from them. They're going to try to stop me. Pray that I would be delivered and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. When I get there to give them the money and encourage them, pray that it will be acceptable to them. Verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Third part, that I can do that and come back. And then he says, he ends it with the blessing. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. On the surface, this kind of looks like his travel plans. But there's something that I wanted to hone in on as I prayed about this text, worked through this text. And it's this part on prayer. It's this part on prayer here. In your notes about midway down, around verse 30, I want to look at those three things that Paul prays for. So the first thing he says, he prays that he would be delivered from the unbelievers. Moving forward in the book of Acts, because the book of Acts continues on, just a reminder, this is happening right around Acts 20. There's more chapters of the book of Acts, so we know the future. Paul didn't know the future at this point. So Paul leaves, which is most likely Corinth, where he is writing this letter. And he's going back to Jerusalem. And as he goes down to Jerusalem, more of the plan gets revealed to him. But he didn't know what was going to happen. This was his plan, but he's praying and asking. So the first thing he ends up praying, he says, pray that I would be delivered by the unbelievers. Does that happen? Eh, kind of well. I don't know. Let's look at the text. Look in your notes here, Acts 23. 6 through 11, he ends up getting arrested in Jerusalem. Acts 20, 23, 6 through 11. Now, when Paul perceived, he got a whole bunch of people were coming, the groups were kind of coming at Paul and questioning him and doing things. Now, when Paul perceived that one, one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, so this big group coming after Paul once he got to Jerusalem, he says, Ooh, I know that these are Sadducees and these are Pharisees, and they don't get along sometimes. He cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. He brought that up because one group doesn't like that. So he's kind of being wise here. He's going to try to divide them since they were coming against him. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say, 
that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. Isn't that great? <laughs> he played them against one another? He's like, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm part of this group, and I'm saying that, uh, yeah, resurrection's great. And all of a sudden, those who were coming against Paul, who were united, now they're arguing among one another. And this group goes, no, there's nothing wrong with him. And he's moving forward. It's great. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune afraid, the Roman officials, that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you may testify also in Rome. So he kind of was delivered. He got there. He, he's given the gifts. He doesn't get killed, but he does end up getting arrested. What's my point? Was his prayer answered? Yeah? No? Yeah? Are your prayers always answered? They're answered the way God answers them, but they don't always look like what we think. How many of you would say that you've had prayers and you're like, Lord, I know this is what you want, and you pray them, and as the answer comes, you go, that doesn't match up with what I thought. You ever have that? Yeah, all the time. You know what's great? Is here's how God answers your prayers. He answers your prayers the way that you would have prayed for them if you knew everything that God knows. But just so you know, you don't know everything God knows. So he answers them with infinite wisdom, power, and love. So Paul's first prayer, it's kind of answered. You can maybe argue yes, and some would argue no, and it just looks different. The second thing that Paul prayed for is that his service would be acceptable to those that he's going to. Remember, he's taking the money and he's going to Jerusalem. He's like, I really hope that when I go, that my service would be acceptable. Let's find out. Acts 21, 17 through 20. So this is before that kind of clamor took place, back in Acts when he first gets to Jerusalem. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified God. And that seems to be the time when he would have given over the money as well, talking about what God had done among the Gentiles, including give money for the aid of the saints. Did God answer that prayer? It looks like it. The way Paul thought he would, hoped he would, he did. Sometimes you pray, Miss Kathy and I were talking about this earlier today, sometimes you pray and God answers it just like that. He's given you insight, he's given you a heart. As your mind has been renewed and you're praying and you're communing with him, he shows you what it's going to be and you pray and he answers that sometimes, the way you think. Usually there's more aspects to it, but in general. Third, he, pray, he was praying that he would go to Jerusalem, that he wouldn't be stopped, that he wouldn't be killed, that he'd be able to help the saints and they would accept him and that he'd get to come back to Rome so he could what? Be refreshed with them, right? Have a good time with them. Brothers and sisters, do you know that you need refreshment with other Christians? You do. You might be thinking, well, I don't get much refreshment from other Christians. Well, there's probably something going on in your heart. 
You may not be looking for it. Do you actually come when we gather together, when we meet next door, when you are with other Christians each and every day, even if you're working alongside of them, do you go thinking, Lord, help me refresh them today and please use them to refresh me? Sometimes that means you might need to ask them questions about what they're reading in their Bibles. What are you praying about? What's going on in your life? And I guarantee you, if you will do that, you will be refreshed. So Paul's wanting to go back to Rome to be refreshed so he could go to Spain. Does God answer that prayer? Yeah. Let's read. Acts 25, 10-12. So Paul has been on trial now. And he says this, But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. The Jews have done no wrong, as you yourself very know, know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer, the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything of which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. He says, hey, if I've done something, kill me. It's fine if it's deserving. But if there is... Nothing to their charges against me. No one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Where's Caesar located? Rome. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered to Caesar, you have appealed to Caesar, you shall go. What's interesting is it seems like they were going to let him off, except that he had appealed to Caesar. And once you make that appeal, you have to go. But where did Paul want to go? He wanted to go to Rome. I'm so thankful he did. I'm so thankful he went. You know why? He goes and he does get encouragement from the church there. And he actually stays under house arrest for at least two years as far as we know. And he writes four more books of the Bible. The prison epistles. If you like Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, or Ephesians, you might be thankful that God answered his prayer that way because if he didn't go there, he would have gone off to Spain. And we wouldn't have had those scriptures so does God answer that prayer yeah there's some debate if Paul ever made it to Spain I would lean towards no but we don't know scripture doesn't say so does God grant that Paul would get to go back to Rome yes does it look like anything that he thought <laughs> no why do I bring that up because prayer is hard sometimes Prayer is really hard sometimes. Someone once asked uh, the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, what's more important, Bible reading or prayer? His response was great. He said, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? Here's what I've been processing through this week, last couple weeks. Generally speaking, you can be in a couple different categories. One, you're not doing a good job with Bible reading, breathing in, and you're not doing a good job with prayer, breathing out. You know how hard it is to live day in and day out doing this? It's not good. Likewise, some of us might be doing well with the Bible part, the breathing in. And I think as a church, we've been doing well with Bible. We take good breaths. But sometimes with prayer for some of us, not all of us, those ladies on Friday are doing a good job breathing out, but some of us 
especially collectively, but in our individual lives too, we're going, Bible, prayer, Bible, prayer. It's hard to live that way too. Likewise, there's those of you who are you're really good at breathing out. You're really good at that prayer and abiding in God. But that breathing in, that's hard to do. How's it supposed to be? Breathing in and breathing out. And I think it's time for us individually and corporately to do a better job breathing in and breathing out. Every great movement that I know of that God does is bathed in prayer. Do you want to see God continue to do even more than we could ever dream or imagine? in reaching this community, reaching our city, reaching the lost, reaching the unreached. Would you like to see that? You got to breathe in and breathe out. We have to breathe in and breathe out. It's what he uses. But here's the other factor too. All the great movements that God does, bathed in prayer. Do you want a great movement in your heart? In your own life? You're struggling? You got things going on, you're like, I'm not really feeling that connection with God, even though I'm reading my Bible and I'm kind of praying, you will do what is a priority to you. How many of you forget to eat for multiple days? We don't forget that. We will do what's a priority. Here's the thing, we have to see it as the priority. We have to see it, and I'm going to say this, as even more important than breathing. Because true life is knowing God and His Son. That's what real life is. And is more important than even breathing. So it has to be the priority individually and corporately. We need to take some good breaths. In, not neglecting the Word. And out, not neglecting prayer. And the Spirit, He will decide to use that as He wills. And we have plans like Paul. But God directs the paths. But I promise you, he will use it for his glory and you will feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life in ways you never have before. And we will feel him as a church in ways we never have before. And it will, as they say in the book of Acts, God will use that and use us, hopefully, for his glory to turn this world upside down. But it starts with turning us upside down. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your grace, love, and mercy. We thank you for this part of this epistle, this letter to the church at Rome, Lord, and how you didn't leave it out, even though it seems like it's just Paul's travel plans. But Lord, as Paul says to them, he begs them that they would pray with him. And so, Lord, sometimes in, in our pride, we don't think we need prayer. We certainly don't think we need it from others. But, Lord, we know that we need prayer. We need you. We need others praying for us. But, Lord, this all starts at us focusing on the gospel and remembering that we need the gospel daily. We need the gospel to be saved. We need Jesus' death. We need his sacrifice in our place for our sins. We need the resurrection, him defeating sin, Satan, and death. We need him to give us his righteousness. We need him to take away our sin. And Lord, we do that 
You do that when we trust in Christ. And so I pray for everyone here who has not trusted in Christ that they would do so. But Lord, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have to keep going back to our need. We're desperate. And Lord, our pride gets in the way and we don't think that we are. So God, I'm asking you do whatever it takes to show us that we need you. Whatever that is. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.